Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Build a working camera and take a photo with it is our challenge this episode. Mm-hmm. And big thanks to Arturo Romo, who was a previous guest uh, on the podcast. And because we didn't have a guest, guest last episode, we decided to... Uh, randomly throw out to all of our previous guests if they wanted to give us a cha- another challenge and we threw them we mixed them all up on a google uh, sheet and pulled one out of that hat the google hat and arturo romo's challenge was selected and it is build a working camera and take a photo with it quinn donkey is our guest this episode greetings quinn hello my name is Rob Ray. Uh, I use the he, his gender pronoun, and I am a designer and run the Exoskeleton Art Space here in Los Angeles. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist and educator, DIY evangelist, CAD cam enthusiast, noted tall person. I'm a he, his kind of guy. And my name is Quinn Dunkey. Uh, by day, I'm technical director at a small uh, mobile game publisher. Uh, but the reason I'm here and my side hustle uh, is something called Bolandi Hacks, which is a uh, very burgeoning uh, media empire uh, consisting of a lot of blog posting about DIY and makery sorts of things uh, and some podcasting and most recently uh, YouTube. I feel like weirdly it's kind of the bare minimum is to be on five platforms (laughs) at once. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Current creative practice. Yeah, I didn't even mention Instagram and Twitter actually where I'm also publishing there. Oh, those old things? Yeah. I think where I experience most of Quinn's postings and output is on Instagram. And what's funny is Quinn, you are a, a, when I, and I use this term as a term of adoration, a multi-hyphenate individual (laughs) and that you have many interesting things going on all all at the same time. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. My, my interests are varied. That's for sure. And on your Instagram, I often, often see machining pursuits. Yeah, that's kind of my primary uh, area of interest right now. So, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, I've I've been all over the place from electronics to homebrew computing to uh, pinball uh, and uh, machining is kind of a, a recent one. And uh, it's a bit of a, an all-consuming hobby. And uh, so it's, yeah, I've been sucked down into that rabbit hole. And, uh, uh, you know, I've been uh, blogging since about uh, 2011. No, sorry, 2009, I think is when I started. And uh uh, you know, so I've got all these activities chronicled there, but recently I've wanted to get into YouTube and sort of at the same time I got into machining and I've been blogging about machining and machining is such a visual dynamic media that it really needs Mm -hmm. video. And so it was kind of a good fit. So I've kind of been shifting over to video and Instagram is kind of a, uh, I'm using it as kind of a, a teaser to draw people over to the blog and to, uh, to the YouTube. And then you also have been co-host of a podcast since like 2013, right? The open Apple podcast. Yeah. So one of my uh, many pursuits, uh, has been retro computing. Uh, so I was, uh, an Apple II person way back in the day and, uh, I've uh, continued to pursue that. So I do software and hardware development for old computers and from the seventies and eighties. And, uh, so I've, yeah, been co-hosting a podcast about that as well. So machining is, it's a craft that I feel like can just sort of consume your life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and also all of one's money. Um, <laughs> and, and I was curious because you have such an, 
varied and interesting background in software and in retro computing and then pinball and stuff. I was curious how how have those sort of synthesized or been changed by machining? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think how I landed on machining is that I'm always, uh, it's always everything I do is a means to an end. I always want to build things. And I always get to this point where I can't build things as nice as I want to be able to. And so then I yes. have to go off and learn some new thing. So. Yeah. You know, I got into fabrication uh, for a while because I wanted to build stronger things and, and and big things. And there's a you get to a point with with wood where you just you know you can't. I couldn't do the things I wanted to do anymore, so I switched to steel and I started welding, and uh, that allowed me to do a lot of things I wanted to do. But then with welding, you know, it's hard to do small things. It's hard to do precise things, and uh, so I, I wanted to get into more clockworky, mechanismy types of things, and you know, pretty soon you, you land on machining. And I think I feel like for anybody who likes to build physical things, work in the shop with their hands, machining is kind of that's it's it's the end point. It's where your everybody's headed, whether they know it or not. And you know, that might might be CNC or it might be uh, manual machining, but it's sort of like the the high point of making things as a as a human being you know from rubbing sticks together to to machining it's kind of the, where it lands and uh yeah so i just uh yeah i just wanted to be able to make nicer and nicer things so that's kind of how i got here i think i think i'm also really attracted to machining because it gets me thinking about when you're just sort of an ape with no tools mm-hmm. like what's the first thing you have to have in order to make the thing that makes the thing that lets you get the flat surface. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it just totally blows my mind that we could get, I mean, it's not like we had these things forever. Yeah. You know, they had to be built on top of one another until we have these ridiculous tools that can go down to, you know, however many decimal points past the millimeter. Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts about that in terms of when you were sort of building up your skills, the order in which things had to come in order to arrive finally at some otherwise uh, simple seeming idea, like making flat stuff, as you point out in your blog. Yeah, yeah, that's I, it's something I think about a lot. Also, is is how did we get here in the history of technology? And uh, uh, in fact, I actually wrote a few uh, columns about that for Hackaday.com. I've been an occasional oh, cool. uh, writer over there, and I wrote a series of articles about the the history of machining because uh, you know a lot of the tools that we use now like the current kind of standard metal lathe what they call a screw cutting lathe uh is, it goes back to you know the late 1800s and you know they were they were building precise uh, machining tools with you know horse and buggy level technology so the question is well how, <laughs> how, how do you do that how do you go up in precision and uh, you know that is what they managed to achieve, and that's really it. All starts with the lathe, what the the, the power of the lathe uh, and turning between centers, uh, which is the most basic form of, of machining. Uh, that has a magical property that the it can make cuts that are more precise than the machine itself is, and that's that's really the basis of it. And once you can do that, then you can build a you can build a machine that is more precise than the machine that made it, and then from there you can you can build on that. And uh, what I what I really love about machining is that it, it really is the foundation of everything that we have now, you know, cars and computers and, you know, everything mechanical and all of our manufacturing, all of it is, comes from machining and the ability to make make things precisely uh, is it's it's the core of all of modern civilization. You know, it's the difference between, uh, you know, horses and, and flour mills and you know, having a supercomputer in your pocket, machining is, is, <laughs> is the difference. 
So, uh, you know, yeah, there's an expression I like that if the zombie apocalypse ever comes, you go find the person with the lathe because they're the one that's going to rebuild civilization. And, you know, if I was if I was a more well-prepared podcaster, I would have read all of those articles and then given you a layup. <laughs> but I have to admit I have to admit that I asked that question just completely wondering what your answer would be. And then now that I'm looking at the Hackaday thing, I'm like, dude, this is <laughs> not only is there the answer right here, but, but I, now I just have to read this. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a, lot, a long series. It looks like there's at least 10 articles here on that very topic. So yeah. that's great. Yeah, yeah it's, great. It's, it's, it's intended as an introductor, introductory series to machining. Uh, I mean, machining is it's a beautiful art and science, and it's incredibly rewarding and satisfying. I got into it uh, primarily from getting sucked into machinist YouTube channels because it's, it's uh-huh. just beautiful to watch. And, uh, and everything is, I call it accidental art. Everything you make is just accidentally beautiful. Like if you just do it properly, the end result is, is a beautiful thing. And, uh-huh. uh, but the problem with it uh, as a DIYer is that it's very difficult to get started. There are very few resources for that. So unless you actually want to go to trade school and learn, learn to do it. And, you know, to be fair, it is, it's an extremely deep topic and someone like Adam Booth, you know, or, or Mr. Pete on YouTube, who've been doing this, for, you know, for their entire lives are obviously at a much higher level than what I'm doing. But, uh, you know, I think it's something that anybody can do at a competent level. And, uh, but it's very hard to get started because there just aren't uh, sort of resources for rookies uh, who just are starting from zero. Maybe they have a drill press or something and they want to they go further. So I'm trying to kind of fill that void a little bit with both the, the blogging and also uh, my new YouTube channel. You, you recently met up with Adam Booth, is that right? I did, yeah. So uh, kind of a convergence of hobbies. I was in Kansas City for the annual uh, retro computing conference called Kansas Fest. And uh, it's kind of a sleepaway camp for adults. You spend a week uh, (laughs) staying in the dorm rooms of a university and you play with uh, Apple IIs and and Ataris and stuff all day. Uh, It's fantastic. I do it every year. And uh, he posted on uh, on his uh, Instagram that he was going to be in Kansas City on holiday. They were driving through and he was going to have a meetup at a local sports bar. Uh, and so, yeah, we both, neither of us live anywhere near Kansas city, but we both happened to be passing through. And so, uh, yeah, I headed over there and it was fantastic. He's such a nice guy and, uh, yeah, had a great, great chat with him. It's funny because like he could talk about, you know, paint drying and it would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just turns on the camera and just starts talking to you, you yeah. know, like yeah. there's He's not any he... like thing going on other than that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. He definitely has charisma and, uh, he, He's one of those channels that I like because he's so good at what he does that you learn so much just watching him, even if he's not yeah. actively explaining things, just watching yeah. how he uses the machines and stuff. I just, I learn something every time I watch him. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Should we, should we jump into challenges? For sure. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, you're first this time. I Rob. am first, sadly. Mm-hmm. So I have a video. It's maybe four minutes long or something like that. So right off the top, uh, this is uh, this program has made an appearance in the last couple of challenges where Rob has this uh, little uh, mind mapping tool yes. that he's using to start out his ideation it's pretty, process. It's pretty cool to see it. I've heard you guys talk about it. It's neat to see what it actually looks like. Okay, so we're looking at uh, variations on the word camera and what it means to take a picture, the types of materials mm-hmm. that are involved in cameras. 
Really sort of exploring the space here, it looks like. He's liking the light bright, the LIDAR, mm -hmm. the eye and the brain and the microscope. Interesting, yeah. Oh, okay, now we're now we're on a black screen with a low res circle and what appears to be an RPM counter. Oh, now we're onto the Arduino. Okay. So now we're writing some Arduino code. Well, so he did get a LIDAR uh, device that would appear. Yeah, Quinn, what's your familiarity with LIDAR in terms of its function? Uh, I'm, I'm a little weak on that. Very little other than reading articles about its role in self-driving cars. Okay. So usually it has like a spinning element, right? Yeah. So that it can cast cast around and maybe bounce infrared or something like that off of surfaces? Yeah, sort of samples surfaces at a certain resolution in, in the area around it. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we're looking at maybe a laser cutter vent in the window or something. I'm not sure what's yeah. going on there. Yeah, that's what I saw. Uh, Rob, did you buy a laser cutter? No, it's just my air con spare air conditioning tube. <laughs> now we're cutting and drilling ABS plastic maybe on the drill press and the scroll saw. Uh -huh. And we got a coffee bag, does have that as one does. ABS look. Cutting a square of a coffee bag and putting it over a hole in the plastic. Rob is also using a, a well-weathered cutting board mm -hmm. and one one to peer behind the curtain at Rob's house. Every object has an incredible history. <laughs> okay. Like no matter no matter how teeny the object. Uh, okay. Rob, do you think that's is that fair to say? Yes. <laughs> so he's <laughs> all right. So he's poked a very fine hole in this uh, window. And now he's taping it over the, what I believe was the hose off his laser cutter. And he's sealing it up, presumably to make it light tight. It's a, I'm thinking he's made a, making like a pinhole camera with, with a LIDAR somehow. Yeah. Like a LIDAR obscura. Yeah. <laughs> Generous yeah. use of gaffer tape, always appreciated. Okay, so cut a hole in the cardboard box, and we're sticking the hose in the cardboard box, and... Perhaps futilely trying to seal it up because the hole was too big. <laughs> yes. Definitely thinking on your you feet switched here. switched over to painter's tape. Mm, yes. Which which I think is going to be problematic. Yeah, that, that's uh, an act of desperation, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so, yes, we have what appears to be a pinhole camera of sorts. Oh, Interesting. Did we get to the end of our five minutes? I failed. Yes. <laughs> Rob documented a bomb. Mm. Yes. Interesting. So, so Quinn, what um, do you think that the LiDAR was just completely separate from the pinhole camera and the pinhole camera was attempt number two, which also did not turn out? Yeah, that's my, I'm thinking that uh, he started out wanting to do something with LiDAR and then, but maybe mm -hmm. ran out of time or because it looked like he was writing some Arduino code to control it, but he was having trouble mm -hmm. getting the motor to, to start and run properly or something. There was a lot of locking yeah. going on, trying to turn the motor on and off. And then, yeah, maybe it looked like a switch gears situation and frantically try to build a pinhole camera because, in theory, those are easy to make. But uh, I've never actually tried to do it, so maybe it's harder than it sounds to make one. I don't know. <laughs> Y'all are so spot on. It's painful. <laughs> <laughs> even down to the tape, Rob? Even yes, the tape? Even the tape. <laughs> so, what, so why did you switch to painter's tape? Inquiring minds want to know. I was panicking. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, though, when you're like, I want to stick to cardboard, like gaffer's tape mm -hmm. doesn't actually work that well. 
Mm-hmm. Really? Because it's just... I thought it worked on everything. It's like a little too... I don't know what. It, I feel like it peels off. It's almost a little mm-hmm. bit too thick mm-hmm. or something. Like it it doesn't have that like... I don't know. It's not fl- bendy enough maybe? I don't know. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's... It, uh, it has a lot of structure to it, and yeah, so right. you have to the, you have to be a type of it has to be a situation where the glue overcomes the structure of the tape itself, and yeah, that's pa- right. Paper yeah. products don't seem to to be the sweet spot. They're so dusty that. or something, almost like it doesn't mm-hmm. work. But yeah, yeah so um, just to narrate what y'all saw a little bit, so I originally was very intrigued to make a lidar image, like a lidar based portrait of myself, and that was the goal. Uh, that fell apart because I ran out of time. And the reason I ran out of time was I had ordered a surplus, uh, LiDAR controller. It's called an XV 11. It's from, uh, there's a, there was a, I guess there still is a brand of like, um, like robot vacuum cleaners that are similar Mm -hmm. to the, um, what's the one everyone had there for a while. The Roomba. Roomba. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. It's similar to the Roomba. Um, called Neato. It's like um, if a um, a Roomba did it with a Cylon. <laughs> yeah, it has that sort of. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. 80s. That is a perfect yep. description of that object. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn, after you had such a such an amazingly intellectual breakdown of the structural functioning of gaffer's tape, I thought I thought I needed to bring the the level of discourse back down yeah, to the no, uh, <laughs> yeah, effectively lowered the bar. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So the Nito XV11 is somewhat widely um, kind of unraveled on the internet. You know, like if you go to look up stuff about it, you can get pretty good information about it. Mm-hmm. But it does fall a little bit into a weird niche that I uh, misestimated. I don't know how many robot people you hang out with, but I feel like robot people have an affinity for very weird technology stacks like being mm-hmm. like oh yes i'm going to use this version of python that no one else uses <laughs> yeah and now this version of python is just unsupported across the board and and i'm going to post everything about this lidar controller onto a wiki that was just shut down like like it was just like a thing after thing after thing after thing of like the internet the promise of the internet falling down <laughs> being like why doesn't the person just have like a a thing on github instead of like posting their code with no line breaks onto the web (laughs) page you know like just just like one after the other but what really got me is is the lidar camera i got it does have a motor and the lidar spins around and it spins around at a certain rpm in order to work but my motor Mm. is totally dead Mm. (laughs) on that controller and i didn't have enough time to get another one and i spent two days thinking the problem was me when actually the problem wasn't me you know, you, you kind of answered your own mystery there when you're saying you were troubleshooting it from the perspective of a software person and that got you kind of into dead ends. That yeah. thing and that effect in the other direction is why robotics tech stacks are all train wrecks because uh-huh. there you go. They're, they're all, you know, electrical <laughs> engineers and hardware people coming at it and they don't understand what makes for good software stacks. So, yeah, that's, that's, a great that's point. why they have poorly documented clunky libraries that nobody maintains and you know aren't uh, are used in obscure languages or whatever the people just they get it they get it working and then that's all the part they that they care about it's uh, it's the same problem if you've ever gotten into fpgas at all uh they're incredibly elegant powerful beautiful tools and you can get these amazing amazing fpga boards uh that are cutting edge and do these incredible things 
uh, and then the software stack for it is some mix of command line you know, and uh-huh. bizarre UI written by someone's nephew that only runs on Windows XP. And you're like, what? What? Like professional engineers use this stuff. The software stacks for most of those tools are just disasters. That's a really great way to put that. I did try to scramble and make a pinhole camera and totally, totally, totally failed that too. So wait, so why didn't that one work? Yeah, what failed there at the end? It was hard to tell. Yeah, I think what failed is a couple things. One biggest failure may be I just didn't have enough light. So a pinhole camera, right? Uh, I should just unpack it for a second. Pinhole camera is essentially just a, a box of any size, and that could be actually your room if it's a light tight room, or it could be like a cardboard box. And then you have a and you have a, a pinhole, and what you want to be able to do is move the pinhole back and forth in order to focus the light coming through the pinhole. So when it shines all the way through to the back of the box, it is crisp. But I think either I just didn't have enough light coming into the box, so there was no image. And what I did is I put my camera in the box to see if I could see the light reflected onto the back of the box, you know? Oh, yeah. So your exposure time was like a 30th of a second, was right? really low. Yeah, right. Yep. I think there it is. I, so I think that that thing works. It's just that you exposed it too short. Yeah. I would say either try it in the day or invent the pinhole flash. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I failed. All right, Quinn, what have you got for us? All right, I... A zip file. Okay, so I have opened, yes, image number one. Taylor, are you you there too? Yes, and already we can see some uh, milling uh, in evidence. What do you see, Rob? So I see what looks to be say a a bra- a machined out brass mm-hmm. brass i don't know um looks that way uh ooh, hard to know how big it is but it feels like it would fit in the palm of your hand i think you can tell because that is paper towel texturing yes. in the background yes yeah, so sitting or on a paper towel kind of yeah rag. right so yeah. it's it feels maybe what four or five inches across and maybe two inches um i'd say even smaller yeah and then and it looks wet. And then there is a glass tube with some evaporated. What's the right word for that inside? Yeah. Evaporate? Evaporate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then also some, there's a little bit of black yep. deposit in there too, which makes me wonder if there was something burned yes. or like ha- how that was collected exactly is. I'll be curious to know more. Yeah. About. There, it has a chemical lab kit vibe going mm-hmm, on yep. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and it's about like a, a ballpoint pin kind of length and diameter and stuff or like a mm-hmm. cigarette a little bit longer than the brass yes object. yeah sitting on top so i'm gonna go to image the next image number two. Oh, mm-hmm. oh. so now we're laying threads onto the end of a um what i'm assuming is a brass tube but it could be a rod we can't quite see uh the interior of the diameter and uh, it looks like it's not brand new. There there That's looks right. to be some kind of a corrosion. kind of looks like battery corrosion. There's yeah, like green, yep. white yep. flake. Um, and so, I'm, so this, I'm assuming that this was made a while ago. And uh, perhaps it, um, it, uh, it, 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 it's like a fixture that hooks into some other kind of a tube or uh, system for carrying air or water or yeah. fluid or... or 
Oh yeah, yeah right, right. Say. Yeah, this may be like a pump fitting or something. Like, mm-hmm. but it, and it also mm-hmm. could be that is that Taylor the dark? Is it cracked that tube? Oh, that could be. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the um, there's an actual hole uh, in alignment with the threads. It's a little hard to tell. Should we look at the next one? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, oh, oh. this is good. This is good. <laughs> well, th- well, that clarifies things. <laughs> yeah, we've got a good pile of raw materials uh, uh, some brass stock like round brass stock some looks like aluminum bar as well mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. all these are roughly the length of eight between four and nine inches something like that and then some the al- aluminum bar has that classic bandsaw cutoff look so these are raw yeah, yeah. cut pieces and not milled pieces yeah that you would like go to a metal supply and get get the pieces yeah and they're yeah they look like cutoffs right and there's some copper bits. So this looks like fishing for a thing to make a thing to fix a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Should we go to the next one? I'm with you. Cool. Yeah. See, now oh. this is starting to look uh-huh, pro. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. What is it when you put a thing into a, a lathe? You Maybe you just mount it. Mount it? Or... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it's called. But it looks like Quinn has done some machining on a brass tube. And that machining is to take um the diameter of the brass tube that maybe is sort of like drumstick style diameter and make it smaller but only only the length that's roughly equivalent to the diameter so we're we're only cutting in um a small amount yep image number five and we see that we the jaws the chucked chucked is that the word i was trying to think yeah yeah there you go that sounds good when you when you put something into the holder a lathe um boy describing only the check yeah a lathe is like a drill press turned on its side and that's a very mm-hmm. horrible description but that's kind of what it is that's pretty good actually and it spins the material um typically a drill bit right spins in a vertical position but a lathe spins everything in a horizontal position and what's cool about that is then you can sort of attack it from the side so you could uh put some sort of blade onto the metal and like trim it down uh, sort of in a way that you would um, uh, peel an apple or something. Like you would just sort of right. whizzle off the layers until you get it down <laughs> to the dimensions that you need. And it looks like that's actually what Quinn's done here. And the other big difference is that you're spinning the stock to be cut yes. in the lathe, whereas you're spinning the cutting tool in the in the drill press. Yes, that's right. That's an, always a weird thing, too, because when you see people lay right. things, the bit doesn't move, the part's moving, and I'm always like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> So now we've confirmed that indeed the center of this thing is hollow from this particular angle. Yes. I'm on I'm on six, Rob. How I about am you? too. It looks like some threads have been cut. So we've got a really nice little die attachment that goes over on the tailstock of the uh of the lathe, and so you kind of plant oh. it on the um uh yeah, it's got that classic clover leaf yeah. shape yep. which I assume is to allow for um uh for uh uh, the little uh, Rob, what happened? <laughs> like it must have fallen down the stairs and hit my head before the podcast started. To allow the chips to come out, yes. what I was looking for. And what we also see in the far background is a BlondieHacks.com sticker on the back mm-hmm. of that lathe, which is awesome. Uh, I had never even. Th- I always imagined like cutting screw threads on a lathe was like some wicked thing you had to do to the lathe to like make it move at a certain speed and do all kinds of wacky stuff. But this is an awesome, like, this is, yeah, you just stick the, the die on the end and then you 
uh, push it over the material and it cuts screws. So that's really cool. Okay. Ooh, yeah. Thanks. So, so do you think those are eighth inch fittings? Eighth Looks inch or quarter like inch? like it. Something like that. Yeah. That's, yeah. And there's a lot of them and they look like they're all mm-hmm. going to fit together. Right. Yeah, so yeah. we either have like a water pump repair or hydraulic fluid. So how do you think this might relate to cameras before I we know, look at the, at the further images? Yeah, I'm really, I have no idea right now. Yeah. Uh, Let's carry on. What yeah, do you say? I'm excited to hear Quinn's break. Whoa, Whoa. okay. There's <laughs> a little more information. <laughs> like Like a big gas cylinder. Is that like a steam boiler or something? There's like a big copper tube with lots of valves and this all looks very custom machined oh so maybe we're looking at some kind of steam engine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so if i could take a crack at this yeah so rob's describing this sort of fancily routed wooden plate that's also been stained and kind of black and red that's the base and then we build up into this copper arrangement that's holding aloft what looks like a copper chamber that's uh, horizontal, that's maybe like a small fire extinguisher kind of in yeah. orientation and so right. forth. Right. And then leading in and out are these various fixtures. Um, there's a lot of brass and some copper, and there also appears to be a little glass tube. So that one's interesting, which suggests mm-hmm. maybe you need to be able to see a fluid level mm-hmm. or a pressure level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also to the upper right is the kind of pin that you would pull if you need to yes. let bleed the pressure like in an emergency. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing um, that made me think it was some kind of boiler or something. Yeah. And then at the lower right, there's a little um, oh, yeah. sort of um, a faucet you could turn to let things out. And so that, that initial copper soap dish we were talking about looks like it's a little drip tray or something. Yeah. Wow. Is that a propane tube in the back there? The one with the, like the caterpillar looking white um, jacket. I'm hoping it is. Cause that would make this thing even more dangerous, but <laughs> I, I, I want to hear more from Quinn. All right. Shall I jump in here? Please, yeah, please yeah. Do. So uh, this was uh, this this was set to expert level. I didn't expect anyone to guess the relation to the topic, but um, yeah. so uh, I started uh, uh, with that sort of mind mapping exercise that you guys talk about because it's not something I typically do, and uh, uh, it was interesting right. to kind of do that in my head. And cool. you, when you guys were talking about this topic on the last episode, you uh, uh, one of you had said how when you get something so literal, you can either sort of charge towards it or charge away from it. And mm, I, yeah, in yeah. that situation, I'm always going to be charging away from it. Uh, there's something deep inside me that says, <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. So I started this mind mapping and I kind of wanted to get it as far away from the literal as I could while still keeping with the topic. And, uh, you know, yeah. I thought about, well, what does a camera do? A camera freezes uh, a moment of our lives, right? And uh, mm-hmm. uh, well, what is what is life really? Life life is water. So then I started thinking, uh, what do I have around me that involves freezing water uh, that is not currently freezing water in in space and or time? And uh, I was just sort of looking around the shop, looking for a project that kind of fit that metaphor. And what I found here was uh, my steam boiler. And uh, this is a Whoa. this is a model steam boiler. Uh, it's about uh, it's about a foot long and about six inches in diameter. And it's for powering small steam engines. Uh, and it has for quite a while had a leak at the bottom of that glass tube, which is the water level gauge. 
and mm-hmm. uh, so it was uh, not containing the stuff of life as it is supposed to. It is not freezing it as, uh-huh. as it is supposed uh-huh. to. And so I wanted to uh, <laughs> return it to its job of freezing the stuff of life. So uh, what you see me doing there is uh, taking the so picture nine is kind of extra context. I'm taking apart the problem area, trying to find the leak and the uh, the corrosion that you described as looking like battery corrosion. It's uh, hard water deposits that form around uh, oh. steam leaks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so it's useful for finding the source of a leak because those deposits will collect uh, when the steam contacts the air, the, the minerals uh, flash out of it. And uh, so, yeah, I took it apart and I, uh, I expected it to be that T-junction piece. But in fact, there was a, a very fine crack in the threads that you guys spotted early on. And uh, so mm-hmm. that turned out to be the, the problem. So uh, I proceeded to remake that part on the lathe. And uh, the part uh, that you're seeing in uh, photo number four, that's actually all one piece of material. It starts as hex bar stock, and uh, you machine it down into various diameters of round section so that you form a, uh, a round, a round oh, pipe course. that has a hexagonal section on it for you know t- uh, turning with a wrench, but uh, it's, all, it's all one piece. That is cool. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, I can talk about uh, thread cutting a little bit. You guys had asked about that. Please. Yeah, oh, please, so yeah. mm-hmm. there are a lot of ways to, to cut threads. Um, the sort of the most fundamental way, for lack of a better word, is actually what uh, one of you described, which is uh, this synchronized drivetrain. That what makes a, a lathe, what they call a screw cutting lathe, as all modern lathes are, is that the uh, carriage rides on uh, a lead screw. It's called, which is synchronized to the spindle. So as the spindle mm-hmm. makes a certain number of rotations, the carriage will move forward and they're timed in a, in a precise way. And you can change that timing for different pitches of thread. So that's the traditional way. And that's called single point thread cutting, uh, where you have a, a very, very tiny cutting tool that's just cutting a single thread at a time. And the machine, uh, advances in time to do that. And, uh, uh, the, uh, so what you're seeing there, though, is uh, what's more done done in a modern context with uh, especially small threads. You know, single point cutting of a very small thread is very difficult. So for small threads, you typically use a thread cutting die. And, uh, you know, it's as you, uh. as you correctly observed, it's held in a uh, what's called a tailstock die holder. And uh, you can you can do that under power or you can do that by hand. So you mentioned that the speed would be a problem, but actually machine tools uh run very, very slowly at the bottom end. They typically can run as slow as 10 or 20 RPM and then all the way up to a few thousand. But most machining is actually done at a fairly low speed. Uh, so in this case, uh, I'm actually tapping it by hand, though you can actually just turn the chuck with your hand for uh, for this type of very small thread. Yeah. Um, so that's how those threads are being cut. That's cool. And even as you're saying this, it makes me think about, too, how the uh, the mechanical nature of single point thread cutting is kind of photographic too, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have a sort of you set up a physical system that lays down a sort of picture. In this case, the threads, just by virtue of its um, physical orientation and mathematical relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's that's great. I do have one question, which is: um, Is the steam engine? So this is the boiler part, right? Yes. And the, that is creating the steam mm-hmm. that then is used to turn turn the engine. Mm-hmm. I hope that's an accurate way to put it. Yes. Uh, and then I was curious, what, what do you run with the engine? Or if there's anything at this point that you do run with? Uh, so it depends on the size of the engine. Uh, typically, uh, typically people who build these types of engines uh, just 
build them for the sake of seeing, just for the joy of watching them run. Yeah. Uh, they're pretty yeah. amazing mechanical machines. Yeah. But uh, you can run small generators or to make electricity or uh, p- some people build, you know, small farm machinery or small uh, uh, machine shop or mill- mills, you know, little models of, you know, things to run with the engine. Uh, but uh, yeah, typically you just, just do it to see the engine itself run. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know if, um, I remember seeing some like water powered sawmills and stuff mm-hmm. like yeah. from yeah. back in the day. And I was really curious if this was going to, could eventually become part of the actual functioning machinery of the shop. Yeah. People do, it's, people do do that. Uh, there's, uh, so yeah, as, uh, early machine tools were what they call line shaft powered. So there was, uh, they transmitted power around the, uh, factory by means of shafts in the ceiling, literally drive shafts mm-hmm. and very, pr- very primitive, very effective. And there'd be these big leather belts that came down from the ceiling and powered each of the machines. Right. Right. And, right. And that yeah. line shaft would yeah, be driven by a water wheel or later by a steam engine. And, uh, uh, if you want to see that in action, there's an amazing YouTube channel, uh, called old time steam powered machine shop. Uh, this guy, uh, David Richards, I think is his name, and he's he's in New England. He recreated this thing in his house. So he has, in his shop, he has a steam engine-powered line shaft machine shop and oh, uh, all of his tools, and he does uh, repairs and things for local businesses and whatever. It's a functioning uh, business, uh, but he runs it all with equipment that's no older than about 1910. Uh, oh, my gosh. leather belt-driven uh, uh tools and yeah it's it's really fascinating so if you like uh yeah if you like seeing steam engines uh, in their native habitat that's a great way to great way to go um and uh, you guys had had asked about that what looked like maybe a gas line in that last photo yeah uh, so that's actually the the steam pipe and uh the, oh. that's what sends the steam from the boiler to the engine uh and that the white what you're seeing there is actually it's called lagging and it's cotton insulation uh, you know, what's mm, interesting about mm. um, steam engines, so, you know, everybody's heard of an internal combustion engine, I think, but not a lot of people think about that word internal, uh, that <laughs> the reason they're called internal combustion is because it's in contrast to external combustion engines, which is what steam engines are. The combustion is happening outside the engine in the boiler. So the boiler is generating the energy and the, the, the hot steam is the energy. It's like sending electricity over to the motor. In this case, the energy is transmitted in the form of steam. And so the lagging, the cotton lagging, is to try and insulate the pipe. You want to hold that heat in as much as you can uh, to keep the hot steam right. from condensing back into water before it gets to the engine. The hotter the steam is, the more efficient the engine is. So uh, steam engines are funny in that everything is opposite of you know modern cars. In a gas engine, you're trying to get rid of the heat. You know We have cooling systems yeah. and fans, and you're always trying to get rid of the heat. Steam engines are all insulated. All the pipes, everything's all insulated because you're trying to mm. keep that heat in. So I always found that contrast interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. And really do, do, pretty efficient. Like when you think like they ran locomotives on steam, you know? <laughs> yeah, steam is actually extremely efficient. Um, you know, large modern machinery is still steam powered. We just don't make the steam by burning coal anymore. Uh, if you've wow. ever taken a tour of a modern aircraft carrier, for example, uh, you know, they talk about them being nuclear. They're actually steam. Uh, the nuclear reactors are used to boil water, which turns steam turbines. Uh, uh, right. So when you, when, you, yeah. when you need really big horsepower, steam is still the best way to do it. Uh, and when, uh, when railroads converted to steam in, in the 40s and 50s, uh, they actually did it not for efficiency reasons, but for uh, expense and maintenance. Steam engines are extremely high maintenance. 
and uh, mm. they need a lot of care and attention and a lot of people to operate them. And diesels are just cheaper and easier to operate. Mm. Uh, but mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the peak of any technology I always find really interesting and the peak of steam locomotives was considerably more efficient than early diesels were. So, you know, it took six or seven diesel locomotives to, you know, equate one of the largest late model uh, steam locomotives, like the big boys and the challengers wow. that were, you know, many, many thousands of horsepower. So, uh, you know, since then diesels have caught up to where steam engines were, but, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, the, the Wright brothers actually considered steam for the first uh, airplane. Uh, there were some French aviators that were using that were using steam, and they actually did get off the ground with steam uh, be, wow. because it because it was a lot more efficient. You could get a lot more horsepower. Uh, the the disadvantage and why the Wright brothers ended up going with internal combustion was the power to weight ratio of steam is not good. The uh, the equipment uh-huh. is heavy for the amount of horsepower that you get, so which is obviously not good for aircraft. Right. Right. Wow, man, that's awesome. That was, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Just like dropping the knowledge. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was amazing. I love it. Steam, yeah. steam engineering is a rabbit hole, and it's kind of the first one you fall down, I think, when you start machining, because it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really obvious and easy thing to do with in a home machine shop. Uh, so, because steam engines are mechanically quite simple machines, but they require a few very precision parts. And so, it's kind of the, yeah, it's kind of where everybody starts, I think, when you get into machining, is you start building steam engines. That's cool. I remember being in grad school and um, seeing somebody who will remain unnamed coming out of their office, and there was like a little CNC mill that was inside of a fish tank or something crouching back in there under some dust. And I said, oh, what's that? And, and they said to me, oh, that's that's a CNC machine. It, it's a way of life, and it, which was sort of the way of just dismissing any potential curiosity I'd have. <laughs> And so, yeah, Quinn, to your point about saying, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> I definitely spent a lot of time after that learning it learning it on my own, but I, I will never forget that dismissal. It really um, it keeps the fires lit. That's, way of life. <laughs> That's how I feel about my 3D printer. I, part of why I've, I was oh, sort of yeah. disillusioned with it is that I wanted a tool, and a 3D printers are a hobby. They're not a tool. It, mm-hmm. it, or a pet. It, yeah, it never yeah. quite just works. You know, you have to fiddle nope. with it and fudge with it every single time you use it and it takes four attempts to get the part you want and yeah it's so that's uh nah. that's actually an eg- excellent segue as you will see okay. Aha. awesome <laughs> okay so we are it looks like we are CNCing some plywood, and we have yep. a nice rounded rectangle outline with kind of a bump on one end. And I see yep. the uh, characteristic uh, tabs being left. I recently learned about this. I don't have CNC machines, but uh, that you, when you're CNCing out plywood, you got to leave little tabs, otherwise the piece flies off right at the end and makes a mess and gets damaged. Quinn, I don't know what dimensions that might be, but do you think it's like? 10 inches by 8 inches or 10, 11 yeah, by 7? scale is hard to judge in these photos, which is, I guess, yep. part, of the, part of the fun. Um, part of the fun, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a suspicion that the cutout in the middle of that would fi- fit a phone. Oh, it could be. Yeah, I think the, the slot is probably like an eighth of an inch wide, I'm guessing. Something, just sort of guessing what the size of the bit that was used might be. Yeah, and then there's another hole right where oh, right. the lens of yes. the phone could go. It does look like a phone case, yeah. Sort of. I don't know if that's where we're headed, but that okay. certainly yeah. um, 
it does sort of articulate what the shape is. So it's about phone-shaped, plus, like, there's another cutout where the lens is on the phone. Yeah. And then there's a much bigger, yeah, cutout around the outside edge. Okay. Number two? Number two. Oh. Oh. We have a oh. toilet valve. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did not expect that. Yeah, there's a urinal. <laughs> And it looks like a very pub. Well, I guess urinals. Not many people have a urinal in their home, but but uh, which is maybe weird. But um, uh, we're in a bathroom. It's a close up. Yeah, on the top of a urinal. At the top of the urinal is like the flushing handle, and on top of that handle, there's always a very large um, hex nut shaped thing at the top. And it looks like Quinn. That could be a three D printed. Yeah. There's a purple thing. There's a purple uh, hex-shaped ring around the large nut and it Yeah, almost like a washer or yeah. something. It's hmm. hard to know what that is. It almost looks like it it's was leaking and someone tried to fix it with a gasket of some sort. Sort of Yeah, it's very interesting that we went from a CNC machine to a urinal. So but that <laughs> we'll that purple ring looks suspiciously 3D printed to me. It does. Yep. Okay. Image number three. Oh, oh, we have what appears to be a main cabinet now. Yeah, big one. <laughs> big one. Yeah. Someone, someone's not messing around. They want to play all the fighting games. Clearly, I got, uh, <laughs> I got the Neo Geo fighting game full layout there. Um, yeah, this is this main cabinet's. So Mame is a. Uh, I don't know what Mame stands for. Uh, Multi arcade machine emulator. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that is a way for people yeah. to... Come on, ask a hard one, Rep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to play classic <laughs> arcade games on a modern-day computer instead of having to go to an arcade and put a quarter in it. Yes. You can play them all at your home. But the downside of that is you don't have the hardware, like the joysticks and the buttons that you had on an old arcade cabinet. So people build what's called a, what I think of as a main cabinet, which is a hardware interface with all the right fun buttons that you can mash on and joysticks and stuff. And typically there's a lot of them because then you could play any game because you're like, Oh, I have a joystick that I need for this game and I have a button set that I need for this other game. So it sort of gives you maximum flexibility of user input. Yeah. It looks like a work in progress. It's unfinished plywood and uh, yes, only one joystick so far, but uh... and some nice oozing wood glue <laughs> yes. in places. Always, always good. Okay. Okay. Number four. Four. We have a <laughs> screenshot of the time and date. I'm guessing this is a panic about the schedule, maybe? Thursday, October <laughs> 4th, which would be today? That is, is that today? That is today. It is <laughs> yeah, yeah. 3.50 p.m. Okay, so someone's <laughs> realized is... there's three hours to finish whatever. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And on that screenshot, Metallica's Master of Puppets is playing. Yeah. Excellent choice. So a screenshot on a contemporary iOS, you can annotate the screenshot that you take using your finger. And on this screenshotted image, the 3.50 p.m. has been circled multiple times. And the word, the phrase, oh, shit, has been. <laughs> has been. So this might be another uh, blue tape moment here. It could be. It could be. <laughs> All right. So number five, we're back to understood ground here i think we've got our finished uh cnc plywood piece cut out which we think might hold a phone and yep. now we've got uh the other tool of the desperate the hot glue gun deployed yep yep and 
what looks like another 3D printed part. It's red and hexagonal. Yeah, it looks like a stack almost of the things that we saw before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, that w- we saw one of the thing and now we're seeing, um, like maybe it was a test print. Oh, or something yeah, a test print. Like, like this is little... going to install on the hex shaped thing. Like yeah. someone's making a camera mount for the top of a urinal, which is a <laughs> curious thing to do. Yeah, yes. Taylor is smart enough to do a test print where I am not. So. <laughs> I, I learned after a long, after many tears, Rob. Okay, image number six. Oh, oh, okay. So the hexagonal portion fits over where the camera lens appears to go. Hmm. Huh. And we are in the bathroom now, also, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so this, so the the plywood cutout has um, this hex ring sort of shape that we have is now like a a hexagonal tube like a hollow tube it almost looks like it's arranged to hold the camera at a specific height above the toilet valve like it's trying to take a picture of the top of the toilet valve right right i kind of expect the police to kick you in the door in this photo yeah yeah something (laughs) untoward is happening here we're in, in the bathroom with a strange camera. I, I swear, officer, I swear. <laughs> I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's for my podcast. Yeah. It's for my podcast, yes. Uh, defense goes over great with juries. Hmm. Oh. Okay, so something very clever I feel like is happening optically here because there's the illusion of a second hexagonal tube some distance away from the camera. But I feel like that's a clever illusion with a mirror or something. Yeah, so the photo is framed in this kind of extreme way by this hexagonal shape. So we just see Taylor in the middle. Yeah, it's like someone taking a photo through a hexagonal tube of a person doing the same thing back to us. I like that all three of our projects so far have been very challenging to describe. (laughs) (laughs) Even though we all worked super hard. Hard at explaining it. This is really fun. Yeah, on the documentation, yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. Okay, should we go to image number nine? Oh. Ah, so this seems to suggest my earlier theory that someone wants to take a photo of the top of a toilet valve for some reason. It's a very psychedelic image Mm -hmm. because the phone phone flash is reflected in the chrome of the top of the urinal hex nut plus it's reflected by all of the 3d printing filament yeah plastic around all the edges it's really cool that's a great cool effect looking. yeah and then but the light still yeah. catches the the embossed lettering on the top of the valve yep. so you still get that yep. the lettering is yeah, very, very vivid but the light is sort of crisp. blowing out the rest of the photos very interesting yep. so relating back to our theme then mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. sort of like a selfie taken in the reflection of a toilet valve nut <laughs> Yeah, I think um, on the the podcast, you know, basically every idea I'm ever going to have had, I had in grad school, and I didn't have the wherewithal to make or to pull off or whatever, so I'm just returning to all of these weird ideas and kind of mining them. And um, for one thing I noticed back in the day was that whenever you were taking a leak at a urinal, they would always have this really standardized nut on the top, which is like a really flat nut. It's very mm-hmm. thin compared to its diameter. Um, but then also they would almost always, and, and of course, you know, once you do the project, um, you find out this isn't true. But in my memory, uh, there would always have been some poor plumber was like smacking the top of the thing with yes. a wrench trying to get it to seat. 
And so there would always be this sort of pattern of of uh, markings uh, marring the surface, the otherwise completely mirror surface on the top. So the the idea I'd had, you know, like 20 years ago <laughs> or whatever, was to take have a way to st- uh, standardize the capturing of these pictures that would be sort of like photographing different constellations because you'd have the symmetry of the format being the same every time, but then the markings be different. Oh, I see. So you could uh, do a, a catalog of all of the toilet valve nuts yeah. in the world. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, kind, of, kind of like how 2600 Magazine has their um, photos yes. of uh, payphones yes, in the back. Yes, I love that, yeah. Um, yeah, so so when I was doing this, uh, the reason for the little um, uh, walk away into the main cabinet was I kept telling myself I was going to finish it today, and then I went to work on this main cabinet project I've been doing for the students at Columbia College, and I started trying to accomplish the compound angles that would um, be required to sort of make the vertical skirt on the controller area. Mm-hmm. And this math proved to just completely be blowing my mind. And so I, I, I spent <laughs> more and more time on it. And then I thought, okay, this is finally done. I'm going to go pick my kid up a little bit early from daycare because uh, she's been, um, you know, uh, grouchy lately or something. So I was like, I go to my office and then I looked at these materials and said, oh, no. <laughs> like I still, oh, man, I still have to finish this project for tonight. So I raced back upstairs and finished the camera and then raced into the bathroom, which was just this flawless bathroom where the plumber must have been, you know, like a 90-year veteran because there was just <laughs> not a single mark Aww. on any of the um, on any of the toilet caps. So, um, yeah, but, but then what I what I had not anticipated was to what extent the color of the just the random filament I used on the print would really influence the image. Mm-hmm. And so instead I just decided to zig in, a little bit and... Um, experiment with the flash and the the different ways that the um you know because the iphone tries to capture that live image yeah. and so you can really see it trying to understand what it's looking at across the um the flash process mm-hmm. so then i could just sort of noodle around and figure out what image kind of looked the best and these are some different experiments in that in that category very cool that's cool yeah uh, that is cool can you explain the one where it looks like you're shooting into a mirror yeah, so that's, I mean, it's funny because that's a lot, uh, it's a lot simpler than it seems, right? Mm-hmm. So you just, you have the phone, and the phone has this uh, this sort of cylinder, this hexagonal cylinder projecting out from it, from its camera about four inches. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just standing a couple feet away from a mirror in the bathroom and photographing it. So the the red part that you see on the outer border of the image is what's cropping out, um the you know because the camera has to shoot down this tube so it necessarily captures the tube on the way oh, out I and then you just see me reflected in the mirror oh. and that, so, so it's a lot it's Whoa. a lot simpler than it oh, seems it's such you know? a great effect it was really hurting my brain trying to figure out it, yeah how that was happening <laughs> yeah that's really cool yeah yeah so i feel like um i mean this is kind of a theme for me about making absurdly overly specific stuff in a technological landscape where everything is supposed to be able to do everything you know, um, and I, I think we see some experimentation with that when you have Twitter limiting to 144 characters or Instagram insisting on square photographs. Um, it's kind of the absurd extension of that, which is this is a fixture that just takes photographs of something nobody would care about. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, and it's cool. Yeah, nice. I, I would. Wow. I would sign up for 
toilet nut gram. Yeah, right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I would invite yep. all my I friends you found and it. hashtag things. Well, I think uh, something tells me that I better I better go do this before we I better I better make that Instagram account before we post this episode. <laughs> well, you know, computational photography is all the rage now. You could come up with an app that tr- converts all of your photos into moires of toilet nuts. Like, oh, it's so passe now. Everyone's using toilet nut filter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hashtag toilet nut filter. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it'll be cool to say hashtag no toilet nut filter. No toilet nut yeah. filter. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2019. No one's doing that. Exactly. Yep. I've I've been feeling this very painfully because um are you are you um are you all familiar with the movie Man on Wire? Yes. Oh I adore oh, that yes. film. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so good. And and as I recall, I, I think it was shot right before September eleventh. I can't I can't remember. It was it was right in the territory. But in any case, it does a pretty good job. So it's it's talking about uh, what is it? F- uh, Philippe Petit. Am I saying his yes. name correctly? But it's, so you know, in the seventies, I guess, right as the towers are built, he illegally shoots a line between the two and goes and does a high wire act, and and the cops can't arrest him, of course, till he gets off the thing. So he's just like out there for hours, noodling around. But the um, but they have this amazing thing of a split screen where he's growing up and the towers are growing up. And um, whenever I would show this in my film classes, I would just get so emotional. And then every year, the students would have kind of less and less of a direct relationship to it. And um, I think next year, we're going to start getting students arriving at their freshman year in college who were born in 2001. Wow. Huh. You know, just like yeah. blows my mind. So it's all <laughs> abstract history to them. They have no concept. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Exactly. Fred Astaire exactly. or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Every time I see someone dancing in white socks, I just tear up. <laughs> yeah. he's, a, he's a famous tightrope walker and sort of interventionist. I think mm-hmm. of him right as like he, yeah, he sort of uses wire walking as a as a, a kind of form a of tool social for, protest. Yeah, a tool something. of social change. Yeah, sure. he's quite a character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, yeah, really indeed. cool person. It's funny and still alive uh, against all odds. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even though he free type t- free wire walked across the twin towers with like no net, right? Yeah. Just, amazing. Just yeah. Went for it. Well, that's yeah. what's so great about the film is it shows you all of the preparation that goes into that. Just you know, yes. literally mm-hmm. years of figuring out what the yeah. rigging was going to be and what the wind conditions would be like and practicing and uh, practicing. So, yeah, there's a reason yeah. he's not dead for sure. <laughs> yeah, he has an amazing book of knot tying. Oh. Really, oh yeah really good yeah yeah he and it's like hand illustrated by him and it's comes with like a little st- string inside of like a plastic container in the cover of the book it's really really good yeah. wow I highly recommend awesome it. Yeah. yeah are you are you getting into sailing rep no it, what was cool about it is you know because he's into knot tying because it's sort of critical to his practice right it's like oh you've you're always rigging up some rope or something to walk across but then because of that he just got into knots and so he has yeah. all these kind of not arcana you know documented in this really cool like hand illustrated book so it's... this is the only person that could name a book why not and yes actually... <laughs> and you know that there's still amazing stuff yep. there. yeah <laughs> yeah 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 i yeah. would think if my life depended on knots i would also be pretty into them yes yeah yep right yeah well, this is a, a great segue also into our project site because all three of these projects, we we really did our best to try to describe what we saw. 
and it mm-hmm. still really would be uh, enhanced by looking at photos of what we what we did. And so, uh, oh, you got to look at Quinn's for sure. Yes, that's a, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. Taylor and I stumbled our way through uh, all sorts of machining lingo and, and totally failed, but we did we did our best. It is it is a visual media, light, as I say. Yes, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and those photos are over at projects.opposablepodcast.com. Uh, and we'll also be posting a bunch of stuff to our Instagram account. So if you want to just subscribe or join or friend or whatever it is you do on Instagram to another person, <laughs> uh, our account is opposable underscore podcast. Yes, we we hang this entire venture on describing things that are really just best described by images. <laughs> and only uh-huh. history will tell <laughs> if this was brilliant or just a complete a completely ridiculous that's premise. right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could have just been totally dumb <laughs> yeah yeah it, yeah okay have, well shall we uh rob uh, set us up for the remainder yeah cool i have a couple of of uh things to go through and then we'll the uh, end matter as it yes, were the end matter uh oh we'd like to send you an opposable thumb sticker and quinn mm-hmm. we will be also sending you a bunch uh and if you would like if any of our listeners would like an opposable thumb sticker just um share a podcast episode with a friend and let us know uh that you did and we'll send you one so you, you can either contact us on instagram at opposable underscore podcast or you can email us at opposable podcast at gmail.com our sticker was created by the awesome wolf mask and you can check out his cool art over at wolfmaskart.co.uk so this is where typically i talk about patreon and and what is amazing about patreon is how we first found out who quinn was mm-hmm. is quinn had become a listener and patron of opposable thumbs on patreon and we were like who who is this amazing person <laughs> and so then of course that led to an i think an email conversation or something and it immediately it was just clear like we have to invite this person on the podcast and thankfully quinn said yes and now here quinn is so thank you Quinn for donating to our Patreon and thanks for everyone else like Nick Kantar and Walter Katanu for donating to our Patreon. It's really um, awesome that y'all do it. And thanks Quinn for being a longtime pa- patron of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Everything I do is supported by Patreon as well. So I believe in paying it forward. Yeah, it's great. It's such a cool idea and really so well executed for how complicated really when you think of like web payments mm-hmm. and all that, like, yeah how messy all that really is it's really takes all of that and makes it into like this strangely rewarding experience somehow so it's really cool um if you'd like to join quinn and nick kantar or walter katundu or any of our patreon supporters uh just go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us and anything you donate uh really helps keep the podcast going Our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion, or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. You can hear Taylor and I stumbled our way through trying to come up with the right language for machining, and Quinn didn't make fun of us. (laughs) Never. Well, I mean, there was all that stuff you edited out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scathing. No. Scathing. Everyone starts somewhere. Can't you people get it right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, so this is where we talk about uh, th- the things that we like or things that we're into. And um, Quinn, if you have any thing that you want to share or links to your own things that you'd like people to find out about, uh, 
free to let people know. Yeah. Well, I won't pass up an opportunity to shamelessly plug. Uh, you can please do find yeah. my blog, which is how I got started on all this, uh, over at blondiehacks.com. So uh, there's no, awesome. there's no E there. That's B-L-O-N-D-I-H-A-C-K-S. And uh, you can also find me. I'm also Blondie Hacks on YouTube and Blondie Hacks on Instagram. I'm Quinn Dunkey on Twitter. Uh, so, yeah, basically I'm everywhere as Blondie Hacks for the most part. So, yeah, the, most of my content is on my blog and uh, increasingly now on my YouTube. Also, you can search for Blondie Hacks on Patreon. You'll find me there as well. Awesome. And I, to- I, I am subscribed to a number of those social media properties, and they are all... <laughs> are super rewarding. So thanks for posting that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's super, it's like the, like that, like inspiration from seeing someone else doing something is so great and you're really great at it. So oh, it's really, thank you. thanks for doing that. Yeah. Um, I have two things. Um, one of them is a book I stumbled upon while, um, looking into this challenge and it's David Hockney's secret knowledge, rediscovering the lost techniques of the old masters. Is this in reference to the Hockney Falco thesis? Yes, it is in reference yep. to the Hockney Falco thesis. That is thesis. the bomb. Everyone must read this. But go on. Yeah, so it's a it's an amazing book. I just started diving into it, and I'm transfixed. Um, and it's really, I mean, Taylor, you might be able to describe it better than I can, or Quinn. Also, feel free to jump in. It's it's David Hockney's attempt to just interrogate how the old master painters uh, pursued their craft, you know? And it is a little bit of like an expose of being like, if you look at this painting, it's clear that it was probably uh, guided by not just someone's freehand drawing, you know, or something like that. Um, But then I did discover too, there's a lot of people who sort of debunk his, some of his work too. So it's interesting that it's created this kind of, um, really interesting discussion really about how this work, uh, these old master paintings were done. Um, and whether you believe David Hockney or you believe someone else, it's really just fun to think about how they did it, you know? And this book really mm-hmm. unpacks just a lots of really cool, like classic paintings that you've seen and you wondered like how they do that. And he took that question and just went with it. And it's been, it's been really rewarding to read about. Is that, is that the theory where I, I heard tangentially about something where someone analyzed the perspective mistakes that are in like Renaissance paintings mm-hmm. and theorized that there's a, a, a device uh, like a transcribing or a camera, camera obscura type device, which projects an image onto a table, which makes those same perspective errors. And so could have yes. been used to paint over top of, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, the the reason it also goes by the Hockney-Falco thesis is that you've got Charles M. Falco, who's a physicist, and so they're actually trying to make a case for there's a specific kind of lens grinding technology that's available in a certain era, and these lenses would necessarily make certain kinds of slight you know, transpositions or errors or whatever. And then if you can pick a regular object, like a carpet pattern, you can show how the carpet pattern distorts oh, okay. a, away from that orthogonal geometry. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's great stuff, and and I think the the cool thing about it is Hockney, as a famous painter, is trying to say, you know, on the one hand, everybody uses aid devices, but on the other hand, you know, if you take a tracing of the Sistine Chapel, I mean, we're not all going to get to the same result <laughs> if, we, if we try to paint that. So it's sort of it's simultaneously de 
magicifies mm-hmm. and also celebrates the yeah. um you know the talents of the people working in these areas it's both totally. more and less impressive <laughs> yes exactly yep. yeah that's yep. that's quite a magic trick yeah for yep. sure mm-hmm. uh, well that you know that makes me think of something else i'll throw out there since we talked about the Great. uh the history of of technology and how we got to machine tools there's a really great book series, I think from a while ago, maybe the 70s, something like that, called the the, the Gingri series. And uh, what he does is he walks you through uh, building a machine shop from scratch. So literally from digging ore out of the ground to oh building gosh. working machine tools. And he builds a lathe mm-hmm. and a shaper and a mill and a forge and all of these things. So basically, if you had to rebuild uh, the technology side of civilization from scratch, these books would basically walk you through it. Really, really something. And basically, you yeah, you learn you know very much how how we crossed a lot of these seemingly uncrossable barriers of precision. And uh, there's uh, also a number of people on YouTube that are following these books and building the tools, following his instructions. Um, oh, so, man. so I'll shout out uh, Maker Size, uh, who, uh, Cressel Anderson. He's doing a great job of, of walking through those books on YouTube. He's built the lathe, and he's most of the way through the shaper now. Very cool. Oh, wow. So he's taking the books as almost a, re- a reference in order to build those projects that are in the books. So the books are literally how-tos, yeah. So Okay, okay, uh, okay. And, he's, wow. and so he's actually following it and uh, wow. just sort of seeing how the experience is. That's cool. Yeah. The, the second thing I have is goofy, but also fun. And it's a thing I learned at work that, um, so on Star Trek, Spock does the like Vulcan salute, which is the first and second finger joined. And then the third and fourth finger joined with like the V in the middle and with mm-hmm. the thumb is out. And that, and he says, live long and prosper. And what I didn't, I never, I just thought that was just some kind of like Hollywood made up thing or something, but it's based on, uh, a Jewish prayer called oh, yeah. the Shekinah, Shekinah, Shekinah prayer. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Apologies if I didn't. Um, and he had seen that that hand sign and he would be participate in the prayer. It's a group prayer as a kid. And the prayer is meant to kind of bless the congregation. And it's named after the feminine aspect of God. And I don't, I don't know. Um, the religion well enough to kind of understand what that means but um and so he would practice making this v symbol as a kid the world knows is this one thing but it has origins in another in a religion which is cool that's amazing i actually didn't know that i always wondered about that like how is it that yeah this 60s era tv show invented a new hand gesture i mean that's a pretty finite problem space there's only so so many hand gestures you can make so i feel like they must have (laughs) all been invented by now and yet somehow they created a new one i guess that was actually just revealing my ignorance of uh, of other cultures, in fact. Well, on a related note this week, I was talking to my uh, my colleague, owner, who, who lectures about art history, but specifically um, in, from Muslim cultures, um, so art of Islam and so forth, at Columbia College. And, and we were talking about how there was this period in the Renaissance where a bunch of fabric was coming from um, Islamic countries. And so necessarily that fabric would have um, Arabic script worked into the hem that would talk about uh, uh, Islamic religion, but because nobody could read it in the Western countries, but because that they thought the fabric was so great, they would always dress their models when they were painting pictures of Mary and stuff. 
So you wind up with all these Renaissance paintings about Christianity that have these bastardized versions of Islamic script showing up in the hems of people's <laughs> garments. Interesting. There's a sort of like secret um, <laughs> uh, <coughs> cross-pollinations uh, squeaking through, which I just That's thought was cool. great. I think we've come to the time. Yeah. Let's, time let's hear it, Quinn. Where Quinn gives us our next challenge. All right. Well, this mm-hmm. one is, uh, so I'm going to, Swing the pendulum back the other way to the abstract, and uh, it's going to be another uh, single word conceptual uh, type of challenge, okay. and it's one that uh, is true to my heart. Uh, so the challenge is precision. Oh, uh-huh, yeah, for real. <laughs> so do do with great. that what you will. That's... All right, yeah. yeah. Oof. Oh, that's going to be great. Precision. All right, Quinn. Thank you so much. I, yeah, yeah. For sure. oh, it was both. rad. This was a and pleasure. your your project was so so cool. <laughs> like you. really, mm-hmm. really cool. All right, gang. Well, I should sign off. But thanks so much for taking yeah. the time. Quinn. Yeah, yeah, Quinn. Thanks so much. We will tackle precision with precision. <laughs> Excellent. And with and with some degree of messiness also. <laughs> <laughs>